Well, today is Palm Sunday, and uh, we know that as the beginning of this week that leads to the cross, and uh, we call this the Passion Week, um, the week that Jesus began to prepare His disciples, um, and it, was, it should not have been a surprise to them what was going to happen because Jesus had been telling them um, the whole time what was going to happen. They just did not want to hear it. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about that uh, why in, in a little bit, but um, uh, it was very laid out. Jesus, you know, told them, uh, I'm, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again after three days. Um, uh, but as we come to uh, that great event which brings life to all of us. It is the hope that we have. It is the victory over death and the grave and uh, all the future that we look towards. Jesus, in this week, starting on Palm Sunday, and actually right before, um, began to prepare them. And, and, and Palm Sunday is a little bit of a preparation for what was to come. And so today I want to look at this preparation that Jesus modeled for us as well as um, uh, led us into. And, and it all started um, right before Palm Sunday was the raising of Lazarus. Um, and, and so uh, after Lazarus was raised is when we come uh, to the story of Palm Sunday because it was from there that they went into the city and into uh, Jerusalem as the triumphal entry. But Palm Sunday is not just a beginning of the Easter celebrations. Everything that Jesus does has a meaning. It has a purpose. And, and, and we need to listen to what Jesus tells us and what He does um, because He is always um, uh, preparing us and building us up and putting us in that position so that we can receive all that God has. Because Jesus wants us to be able to receive what resurrection really is. And it's not just the one-time salvation, and I thank God for that, that, that we do believe in, in the resurrection and the cross, and because of that, uh, we move into salvation. But throughout our walk in our relationship with God, even after we are so-called saved, uh, I don't know if being saved is a one-moment thing or, or a process. In fact, we look at it as a process of sanctification, which does take place after the moment of, of salvation. Uh, but throughout our sanctification or our setting apart, our growing in God, there are always moments of resurrection that God wants to bring uh, beyond the, the initial resurrection of our soul in salvation. Um, many times there are, there are things in our life that are broken, and, and as we grow and walk in the Lord, God wants to bring us resurrection life in different areas of our life, um, whether it is in relationships or whether it is in our um, emotional uh, life, um, in our mental life, in our, in our behaviors. God wants to bring life. He is constantly bringing us to a place of resurrection where we can experience life where there has been brokenness, where there had been death, uh, where, he, where, where, where we had struggled with the things that sin had caused in our life. 
God wants to bring us resurrection. So it's more than just our salvation. It is a life of resurrection that Jesus wants us to prepare for. And so as we look at Palm Sunday, we're going to look at um, uh, about four things that we can do to prepare ourselves for resurrection. Uh, maybe to prepare ourselves for God to do something new uh, in our life, in wherever uh, we are struggling. God wants to bring a resurrection there. So let's look at the story and then we'll look at the different elements, um, what we can do to prepare ourselves and put ourselves into a position to receive uh, a resurrection from God. So let's pick it up in Matthew. We're actually going to look at, now this is one of the stories that is in every single gospel. Uh, the, the Palm Sunday triumphal entry is in every single gospel. Now everything that Jesus did is not in every gospel. Some of them wrote different things depending on what their perspective was. And um, it doesn't mean uh, that it's any more important. But when, when there is something that is in all four, we know that that is definitely uh, important. And the triumphal entry, even though that's not... Uh, the cross and the resurrection, is in all four. So there is something that Jesus is showing us in this uh, story. So we're going to look at all four. We're going to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as we read this story. But we're going to start in Matthew, uh, Matthew 21. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied up and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them uh, back to you at once. So this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humbled and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. As we look at this, this is our first step in preparing ourselves for resurrection, for Easter. We must learn to humble ourselves under the word. Jesus models this, that before he even went to the cross, in the midst of, of acclamation and people just lifting him up, you know what? He didn't get caught up in, in all the hype. You know what? He made specific steps not to begin to get puffed up, to get focused on himself, but he humbled himself. He humbled himself. One of the very first steps, we talked about our, our, our blueprint for life in our last series. The very first thing that Jesus started with in his sermon on the mount was humble yourself. It was the Beatitudes. It was about coming to this place of realizing that it's not about us. And so Jesus modeled that by humbling himself. He didn't come riding on a white horse uh, like all the generals or all the victorious kings would come on. But he rode in on a donkey, uh, a, a picture of servanthood, uh, a, a burden, a beast of burden that carries loads. It was meant for something uh, that was work-related, nothing celebration-related. But here, more than this, I want to point this out. It says that not only did he ride in on a donkey, 
um, humbling himself. But it says he did this to fulfill what the word of God had spoken. Now, there's a lot of prophecies about Jesus, and we know that, that that's the great thing about Jesus, that he fulfilled so many prophecies, that that's how we know he was the Son of God, because there is no one in the world that could have fulfilled all the prophecies that he did. Uh, the, the, the odds are uh, staggering. But there are some of those prophecies that took a choice. It says here that Jesus told them, you need to do this, because this is what the Word says. So not only did he humble himself in stature, but he humbled himself under the word. He yielded himself to the plan of God. You see, he knew what the word of God said, and he says, I will follow the word of God. So it was not just a, oh, wow, I did that, and I didn't even realize that that's what the word of God said. No, he purposely yielded himself to the word. Now, what is the Word? The Word of God, even in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this is a, a revelation of the plan of God for our life. So what Jesus was doing, he says, I am humbling myself to the plan of God. It's not what I want. It is what God wants. And this is the this is the key preparation. If you want resurrection in your life, if you want God to bless you and honor you and, and, and begin to bring a, a harvest of good things in your life, it starts here. Not only do we humble ourselves, but do we yield ourselves to the Word of God? That what the Word of God, I will do this, that the Word of God may be fulfilled in my life. You see, Jesus said the Word of God is more important than what I might look like in front of others. It's more important than what others may say of me. And so he did this to fulfill what was spoken of in the Word of God. Are you living your life with that same, let my life be a fulfillment of what is spoken of in the Word of God? You might say, I'm not in the Word of God. Yes, you are. You do know that you are in the Word of God. Because Jesus talks about those who will believe after uh, his disciples. He speaks of those that will come after uh, him. And so we are those people. And the Word of God talks about the churches and what the church will accomplish. And so we are the church. And so we need to say, I am going to live my life so that what it says in the New Testament about the church will be fulfilled in me. Are you surrendering yourself to the Word of God or are you living for yourself? Are, are you setting your own plan for your life? We need to begin, first of all, like Jesus. On that day when he came into Jerusalem, he says, Every step that I do, I'm going to humble myself before people and yield myself to the plan of God. The plan of God is going to reign in my life. When you do that, you begin to prepare yourself for what God wants to do. It goes on and it says in John, let's skip to John. John chapter 12. It says, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him, and this is the crowd on that uh, uh, Palm Sunday day, was there because they had heard that he had done this sign. You know what it says? It says, 
Not all, but a majority of the crowd on that Palm Sunday day, the majority of that crowd that was waving palm leaves and putting their cloaks on the ground, it says many of them had come straight from, he had already done this with Lazarus, it had began to spread through the city, people were excited because they had heard what Jesus had done and so they all came to see Jesus come into Jerusalem. But you see, here's the thing, that wasn't the reason that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. He was not coming in to do great miracles and and to give the people what they wanted. And and you see, they were there for the wrong reason. And so what Jesus is saying and what the Word of God is saying is, if we're going to prepare our hearts, we need to begin to choose our right motives. We need to ask ourselves, why am I here? Why am I here in church? Why do I worship God? Is it so that, God, you can do this? I want you to do this for me. You see, many people were following Jesus because, you know what, man, follow Jesus, I get a free lunch. You know, twice he's already multiplied bread and fishes, and and he's given healings. Man, this guy is the best sugar daddy there is. I'm going to follow him. Is that why we're following Jesus? Because maybe we can use that to to, to accomplish things in life or, or whatever it is. Or maybe it's just because I just don't want to go to hell. And so that's kind of like, Jesus, you're my, you're my I'm going to hold on to you. I don't want to do that. But if that's the only reason, you're going to miss out. That is not the motive to follow Jesus. And, and it is said over and over because Jesus saw that. Um, and it says that when he got close to the city, that he began to weep. If you'll read um, uh, in John, it'll say that, that he wept over the city because he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, while, even while you are celebrating me, you're, you, it looks good. It looks like they are, you know what, making Jesus their king. And yet, what does he say? He says, but yet you are the same one who, who kills the prophets. Because you want what you want, but when it comes down to it, you're not there to follow me. And so Jesus began to weep. He wept while he was hearing this great celebration because they were there for the wrong motive. We need to begin to change the motive of our heart. We need to begin to say, God, I understand that you are not here just to give me what I want. In fact, if you continue to read in John, we didn't put it up here because it goes on and on in his teachings. Uh, from this people, from this group, it says that there were Greeks that came to him and, and began to talk to him. And this is what he said to them. He said um, uh, that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies it will produce much grain. And this is where he gave this this great saying. He said, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. You see, he's saying, here's what you need to understand. If you're going to follow me, you're choosing a hard path. You're choosing a path that you're willing to die to yourself. Remember, he said, if anyone's going to follow me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Because this is the way to harvest. He has no problem with your your desire for good things. But he says, you're following the wrong path. 
if you're going to follow a, a path of pleasure and of doing what I want and, and, and just uh, uh, pleasing myself and following the easy road, going the way everyone else does, that's the wrong motive. You see, you need to understand that following me is not always going to be healings and, and multiplying fishes and, and uh, 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 even resurrections from the dead. But following me is a, is a willingness to go towards the cross. Are you willing to let him bring salvation to you from yourself? You see, many times, yeah, we want the king. We want victory because, God, I need victory uh, uh, over all the things that hurt me. And you know what Jesus is saying? I didn't come to bring victory over all the things that hurt you. I came to bring victory over yourself. You need to be saved from yourself because it is your desires for fleshly pleasure that is what's killing you. And yet that's what you want me to give you. I'm not going to give you what is the very thing that is killing you. So to follow me is to be willing to lay down your life. To die to this life that you might be raised up to even greater harvest. And he uses that beautiful picture, a seed. And we all know this in the Imperial Valley. You plant the seed in the ground and it dies. And yet out of that grows something new and different. You see, the, the, the harvest does not look like the seed. And yet we are so focused on the seed and the seed is so beautiful and this is what I want. And yet God says, there is something that's different from the seed that's going to be even better. And so we need to begin to prepare ourselves by saying, God, give me the right motive. I want what you have to offer. Even if that means losing things temporarily in this world. Even if it means choosing you over the easy life and the, the pleasures of the life because you are going to give me pleasures and joys that will be so much greater. So I'm not saying that God is going to give you a life where you just hate life and you are just miserable all the time. I'm just saying that he's going to give you a different type of joy where you're going to be more joyful even though life may not be easy in the definitions that the world puts on it. It's not by how much money you have or how much pleasure. God will give you joy in deeper ways, and you will love life. God promises you he came to give life abundantly. Jesus said that. He's not here to make you just the, the most miserable person on the earth. If you're the most miserable person on the earth, then you're not truly dying to yourself and letting Jesus bring something greater. So we need to be unlike this crowd and, and begin to choose a different motive. Begin to ask ourselves, why am I following Jesus? And hear the words of Jesus. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to lay down my life. I am going to seek you, and I'm going to let you have your way, God, whatever it is. Then we go to Luke. Luke chapter 19 these are in all the, the stories, but we're just picking up in here. And Luke chapter 19, verse 36 says, And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground, on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples. Now notice, this is not the crowd, but this is his disciples. And I think many times we, we, we see it all as one big group of people. There was a big group of people that were all praising him. But remember we said a large part of the crowd were just there for what they could get. 
They, they just like to see the good things. But here it says, the whole multitude of his disciples begin to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. So they were not looking for what they could get. Now they begin to just praise God. They begin to rejoice in God for the mighty works that God has done. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, and we know this great saying, I tell you that if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. One of the greatest things we can do to prepare for what God has for us is to begin to live to praise him. There is something amazing that happens when you begin to praise God. When you just begin to rejoice in God. You know what? You may have lost your job. You, you may have a broken relationship. You may have lost a friend. You may have didn't make the team. I've experienced that quite a few times. But we can still rejoice in God. Because, see, my heart does not live for those things. Those things are great, and when God gives them to us, we love them, but I don't live for those things. I live for God. And when you begin to live for the praise of God, when you begin to lift Him up, begin to just meditate on the beauty of who God is and Jesus and His plan for me, and I don't understand why it's going through all this hardship, but I'm going to rejoice in God because life may not be pretty, but God is beautiful. You see, life may be hard, but God is great. And so when we begin to live to praise Him, you see, all of creation was made to praise God. So all they were doing was fulfilling what they were made to do. When we begin to find what we were made to do, you begin to come into alignment to where your life begins to just work. Doesn't mean everything goes right, but it works because when you are made to do, you are made to praise God. You weren't made to make money. You weren't made uh, to, to have all the friends in the world. You were made to praise God. And then when you begin to praise Him and seek Him, what did it say? All these other things will be added unto you because God knows what He made you for. When you praise Him, that allows God to praise you. That allows God to say, well done, my child. And He begins to give those things that we need at the right time. But we need to live to praise Him because even the stones and the trees and the world around us were made to praise God. In fact, the beauty you see is not the beauty of nature. It is the beauty of God. So many people, because of that, uh, have begun to worship nature. We have people today that, that are more uh, in love with nature than even other people. You know, saving a tree is more important than, than saving a baby. You know, you can have abortion, but don't cut down a tree. Really. Because they have forgot the very purpose of nature. The very purpose of that tree is to praise and honor God. And then honor, as we honor God, we honor that God is the source of all life. That child, that baby is even a glory to God. We need to begin to say, everything in my life is going to bring glory to God. And as you begin to find purpose in that, you begin to find fulfillment and contentment. Because here's the thing, if you have praised God, 
then I matter. Then I have fulfilled what I am here for. I can find contentment and joy in that. And so when we prepare ourselves by saying, I will live to praise Him, it puts us in the place to receive resurrection. You see, we begin to put ourselves in the place that God says, yes, you're ready. You, you are in that place where as I can give life, because He's not going to give life into a rotten pool. He is not going to pour His gifts You know, like that says, don't throw your pearls before the swine. He's not going to bring the nicest gift to someone who's just going to throw it in the mud hole. But when we begin to live to praise him, he says, yes, you are ready. I will give my greatest to you because you have chosen to live to praise me. The final thing, though. So we need to humble ourselves under the word. We need to yield to the plan of God. We need to begin to choose the right mode of understand what, why we are following Jesus and the cost that it's going to take and be willing to do that. We need to live to praise Him, to understand that I will praise God in every situation of my life. But here's the last thing, and I think this is something that we miss out because we, we put this on other people. Now we look at as soon as He entered into the city he did he went straight to the temple to do this let's go back to Matthew 21 it says and Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned and threw down the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame then came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The culmination of this triumphal entry, it culminated In the driving out and the violent overturn of all these these merchants and tables in the temple. So all of this led up to this act by Jesus. And what is Jesus saying? Um, He is saying, you have turned my temple into a den of thieves. Um, what were they thieving? Now, we, I know we know what they were specifically doing. They were, they were stealing money because they were making people have to, um, you see, the Jews would only accept Jewish money because they didn't want to accept Roman money. That was, you know, that was sinful. Um, so there was people that said, oh, so that means for them to bring their offerings and sacrifice and buy their sacrifices at the temple, most of them did not have Jewish money because most of them lived out in the country and used the regular Roman money. So we're going to be there and charge them this great interest to change their Roman money into Jewish money just so that they can come into the temple and give their sacrifice to God. So yes, they were stealing money from them. They were extorting them uh, money. But here's what they were really doing. They were putting up barriers so that they couldn't enter God's presence. You see, they were robbing them of God's presence. Because many of them, if they couldn't afford that, then they couldn't go in and give their sacrifice. 
they had raised barriers before the people. The worst thing that God says is what you are robbing, you are, you are robbing my people of the opportunity to come into the presence of God and my house will be a house of prayer. Prayer is a, is a entering into communication and relationship, into a presence with someone. That's what prayer is. It's not a ritual of, of, of uh, spoken word. Jesus says, my house will be a house of relationship, of family, of, of presence. And yet you have put barriers to my people. So if we are going to be able to receive resurrection, we have got to throw down the barriers. We need to be like Jesus and begin to throw down these things out of our life, to tear down the barriers that are keeping us from coming into the very presence of God. Now, each one of us, we may have different things that we have built up. You know what? We have made our own life a den of thieves where we steal from ourselves the presence of God. We put barriers because we think this is we're more greedy for the worldly pleasures than we are for what comes in the presence of God. And so we have begun to rob from ourselves the very ability to experience the presence of God because it's so much more important to spend time doing this activity or, or this pleasure with family or friends or whatever it is and all we're doing is raising a barrier and we are stealing from ourselves what God could have done in our life by bringing the presence of God into our life. And so we need to begin to ask ourselves, what do we need to tear down in our life? Is it hate? Is it fear? Is it greed? Is it, is it self-centeredness? What is it in our life? Is it stubbornness? Let's be honest. Sometimes it's just stubbornness. Sometimes it's laziness. You know, I can't get up for church. I, we can have a hundred millions of excuses. Are those excuses, there ever really a good excuse? There's no one good excuse. It's a barrier. And we need to begin to tear them down. Jesus tore them down. Threw them out. We need to begin to throw down those things. And it might take a violent, in our life, I am not going to do this anymore. And it's going to be hard because I know our heart and our mind is going to react against that. And it's going to be hard at first because we're so used to those things. And yet Jesus says, if you'll take down the barriers in your life and come into my presence, you will re realize something that you never realized, that what you get from Jesus is so much sweeter than what you had been enjoying before. We have got to begin to take that step. But here's one other thing. To prepare for resurrection, we do need to take down the barriers in our life. And you need to let the Holy Spirit speak to you and convict you of those areas. But here's what's even more important. And I think this is what Jesus, even more, it just said, no. You need to tear down the barriers that you are raising up that are keeping other people from him. You know, it's bad enough that you steal from yourself, but do you know that you rob from others the presence of God? God has made you the ambassador, the, the presence of his reconciliation, and yet you refuse to open the door to bring other people into the presence of God. And many of it's the same barriers because you are living in your own barriers. Those barriers 
keep you from opening the door to others. But many times there's other things because there's things that we say or do where, which, you know what, they, they keep people from God. Jesus said, you know what, he hated the, the Pharisees. He said, because you know what, your religiosity and, then, and, and what you do in your life, you actually give a bad name to others about God. And so you have raised a barrier to others from keeping them from coming into the presence of God. How do we keep people from coming into the presence of God? When we do not live fully in his presence, how is anyone else ever going to come in? You see, when we do not prioritize God, when other people, our friends, our co-workers, whatever it is, when they do not see a, a intense passion for God, you know what it does? It lowers the desirability of God for them. And many times we just put off, well, God will call them. You know what? They got to deal with their own call with God. That's true, but God has chosen to use you as the reflection of him. He has said over and over, I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. It is your love for one another. It is your love for God that is going to draw others. It is as we lift up Christ. But is your life lifting up Christ? Yes, he will draw them. It is up to the Holy Spirit to touch their heart. You cannot do that, but yet it is our responsibility to raise Christ in such a way in our life that removes the barriers. Let not my life be a barrier to him. And yet many times we are barriers to others. Whether we condone you know, other things, well, it's okay, I'm going to go do this too, and so then they don't feel bad about missing you know, or putting Jesus at a lower priority. Or maybe it's things that we do that we push people away, whether it's, whether it's, it's hurts, um, whether it is preferences, whether, you know, we just cannot love those people. Are we putting barriers in front of other people that are keeping them from the presence of God? That is a serious thing. That's something that should be weighing heavy on, oh God, please do not let me be a barrier to someone else. You know, Jesus did say that if we cause anyone else to sin or to fall away from God, it says it's better for you that you put a large stone around your neck and throw yourself in the ocean. We need to understand and just be moved. God, do not let my life be a barrier to someone else. Let me love you with such intensity that there will be nothing that they see in me that will make God look less desirable. In fact, let them see a passion for me, a priority for me. And when we do that, then Jesus welcomes us into his presence. So are we willing to prepare ourselves for resurrection? God has awesome plans for our life if we will humble ourselves. If, if we will begin to accept the path that he has for us and change our motive and die to ourself. If we will live to praise him and lift him up in our life and if we will begin to tear down those barriers, those things that hold us from going deeper in him. When we begin to do those things and begin to prepare the, 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 the land of our heart 
then I'm telling you, God has a harvest that he will begin to blossom into beauty in your life. But you've got to prepare the ground. It's like any crop, you know that they don't just go out and throw seed on there. Oh, how come it didn't grow? Because they didn't prepare the ground. Let's prepare the ground of our heart. We, the people who know Jesus, let's prepare that it might be a, a harvest of joy and life in him. Let's bow our hearts.